0: The saying "It takes love to know love." Paul knows that it requires a person to have the love of God in order for that person to be able to understand, to grasp, to realize, to comprehend—really, to apprehend—the vast, unmeasured, boundless dimensions of the love of God. And to know the love of God, to know the love of Christ. Which surpasses knowledge. And Paul prays in verse 18 that these dear saints may be able to comprehend. The Greek for this phrase, may be able, carries the meaning to have full strength, to be entirely competent, to be imminently able, which really points us back to verse 16 in his prayer, that he, Christ, would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. The spirit of God is the source and power of the believer's ability to comprehend the riches of God's love. And God gives his Holy Spirit to those whom he loves, which is why Paul prays to God on their behalf. Listen to what Paul says to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, if you want to follow. Paul says, but just as it is written, note that he's always referring back to the writing, to the word, that the word delivered, just as it is written, things which I have not seen, an ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love Him. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts, Of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that, you should underline this in verse 12, so that we may freely know the things given to us by God. God wants us to know him. He wants us to know the things he's freely given to us. And in our text this morning, to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. Just by way of review, the word comprehend, katalambano, in the Greek, close, meaning to take eagerly, to seize, to hold, to own, to take it to oneself, to appropriate. Comprehend, grab it, grab the truth, hold it, own it. Take possession of Christ by his holy power. Do it by the power of God, by his power and influence, laying hold of the human mind and will in order to prompt and govern it. Isn't that wonderful? This is the prayer. Paul is praying that all believers in Christ will literally apprehend in the sense of mentally grasping this most glorious, magnificent, transcendent truth of the infinite love of God which knows no limits, has no boundaries. And when Paul prays in this prayer with all the saints... He's praying for all the saints, for all time. His prayer is not intended for just a select few of what we might call the super saints. It's for all the saints. Yeah, his prayer is for all the saints, for all who are in Christ Jesus, that they might be able to comprehend, to apprehend, to possess the love of God which is for every true believer for all time and eternity who are rooted and grounded in love, all who are in Christ. So now as we turn our attention to verse 19, that was kind of all way of review and introduction, um, we see that Paul has been building up to this point. But before we continue, let me pray. Father, as has been prayed, we love to pray. We love to talk to you, to know that you are God, to know that you're here, to know that we're praying in accordance with your will because we want your glory. In the church and in our own lives, Lord, the rich truth that is here, open up our hearts, open up our minds Grant us, Lord, grace to receive. Help me as I stand here to bring your word. In Jesus' name, amen. To know. So verse 19, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. This word know in the Greek is the word ginosko. To know absolutely, Christian. To know the love of God. Experientially, by experience, to know God's love. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his commentary states that this word, know, gnosko, is in many ways stronger than the word for comprehend used in verse 18. He says, quote, Comprehend carries the idea of conceptual knowledge, a knowledge of concepts and ideas that can be studied, concepts and ideas that can be laid hold of with the mind. Comprehend. But here, in verse 19, Paul is praying that his readers will know experientially the love of Christ that they will be absolutely confident, convinced, and certain of the love of Jesus experientially. Well, how does that happen? How can someone know the love of Christ experientially? How can a person know something that is unknowable? Remember, surpasses knowledge. How is Paul's reader to understand What he's really praying for. It seems to me that he's made it clear in verse 17. Look at verse 17. This is what he's praying for. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The indwelling Christ through faith in your hearts, which is where the seed of decision is usually made, right? Right? I mean, the old adage in the world, follow your heart, well, that can be very dangerous, right, depending on where your heart's at. Yeah. Paul is praying for these dear saints, along with all who would read his letter, which is us today, that they would experience the love of God, the love of Christ, really in the same way he has through faith. Paul wants his readers to have the same experiential knowledge in the love of Christ that he's experienced himself. His prayer is that these saints will know Christ's love in the same way that he has known Christ's love. Listen to how Paul talks really about his own experiential knowledge of the love of Christ in these next verses I'm going to read to you. And what I want you to hear as I read these verses is his confidence, his conviction, his certainty. Has Paul truly experienced the love of Christ? Let's look. Romans chapter 8. Why don't you turn over there with me? I'd love for you to follow along. Let the Bible do the heavy, heavy lifting, right? Of course, we've been here in Romans chapter 8. This is um, ahead of where we're at, but we're heading here on our Sundays. Thank God for a faithful man who is careful, precise, fears God, preaches the word of God for the glory of God. This church is blessed. So thankful. Verse 32 of chapter 8 in Romans He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Are you hearing confidence? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Jesus Christ is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written. Here we go again. Paul says that a lot. For your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Does that sound like he has an experiential knowledge of the love of Christ? I mean, it does to me. Hmm. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Experiential knowledge. Second Corinthians chapter 5, listen to this. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for us, or he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Paul knew the love of Christ. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. He came to a conclusion that Christ loved him. And that's what he's praying for. Are you concluded with that truth today in your heart? Do you know that Jesus Christ loves you? Do I? He says this in Ephesians chapter 5: Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for you. Gave himself up for us, he says. An offering and a sacrifice to God is a fragrant aroma. Let's do one more. And if you would, turn over to Philippians chapter 3 and follow along, please. We're going to start in verse 7. But whatever things were gained to me, Paul says, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in the view of the surpassing value of of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. That I may know him, Gonosco, that I may experience, ex, have an experiential knowledge of Christ, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. So, are you hearing a theme in these verses? I mean, Paul came to know experientially the love of Christ through the gift of faith which was given to him by God to see Christ in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection. To see him through the eyes of faith. Faith. It's a gift. A wonderful gift from God to see what God has done in his son. And that's what Paul looked at. All of these verses he made reference to the the crucifixion of Christ and his resurrection. That's what he was focused on. Family, are we focused on the gospel? Do we look to Jesus Christ to give us power to live for him? To be holy? To walk in the light with him. To love what he loves and hate what he hates. Do we look to Christ? Or do we look to ourselves? Or something else? Through the eyes of faith, Paul was able to see the condescension of Christ. There's a study that will take you for the rest of your life. The condescension of Christ when he emptied himself and came to earth. Through the eyes of faith, Paul was able to see the perfect life Christ lived on earth. Through the eyes of faith, Paul was able to see the crucifixion of Christ, the death of Christ, the burial of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ through the eyes of faith. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 15. This is top of mind for him, and should be top of mind for us, which I would argue, as I'm learning myself, to know the love of Christ is to know this. First Corinthians 15. This is a a um, condensed, um, clear proclamation of the gospel. First Corinthians 15:3. Paul says, "For I delivered to you as." of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Another reference to the word, right? And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That's what Paul was looking at. That's what we need to be looking at, letting the gospel permeate our thoughts to know that God has brought us to himself through such a high price. He sent his son to earth to die on a cross, to shed his blood, to rescue our souls. He owns us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, you are not your own, Christian. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Do you see how looking at the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ changes how we think? Hmm. Paul had knowledge of the love of Christ because he had been given a gift, just like we have, the gift of faith, to believe in the work of Christ. True faith always takes us to Christ, right? Always. Trusting in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Growing in the gospel. And strengthened by God's spirit more and more each day. It's clear that this is what Paul prayed for. For these dear saints. He wanted them to have the same experiential knowledge for the love of Christ through faith. You know, as I pray for my wife and my children and my grandchildren, as I think of each one of you and your faces come to mind, I am praying. I'm certain Pastor Jonathan's praying and we pray for each other's families that you will know Christ. You will trust Christ. You will follow Christ. You will obey Christ. You'll be filled with the Spirit of God to be empowered to live for Christ. That's what Paul's praying. In fact, we have some more evidence <clears throat> that he wants these believers to have the same experience he has in faith for this knowledge. He says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17: Brethren. Join in following my example, right? And observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. What was his example? Paul followed Christ. He believed the truth. He believed the gospel. Changed him. And we know what he looked like um, pre-road to, what was it? (laughs) Thank you. Um, He was a modern-day Hitler, according to R.C. Sproul. He was tearing families apart, dragging people away and putting them in bondage and chains until he had an experiential knowledge of the living Christ. Amazing. And that's really our story as well, each one of us. We're new. If any man be in Christ... He is a new creation. creation. Old things are gone. Behold, it's like surprise, new things have come. It's awesome. So again, I think Paul makes it clear in verse 17 of Ephesians 3 what he's praying for. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Right? Clearly, Paul is praying that all who are in Christ would have and should have this Gnosco, experiential knowledge of the love of Christ through faith. Faith that looks to Christ. You don't have to look at these verses, but if you remember them, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Faith that looks to Christ, right? Faith that hopes in Christ, Ephesians 1, verse 12. Faith that trusts in Christ, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 13. Faith that believes in Christ, 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. Faith that obeys Christ. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9. Those are just verses I... I mean, you can expand off of that with your concordance. Go to work. Faith that knows Christ experientially. Listen to what Jesus prays in John 17. This wonderful glimpse of intimacy between the Father and the Son that we get to see in John 17, this wonderful prayer. Jesus said, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. (laughs) If we're not looking for life in Christ, we are looking in the wrong place. Amen? Yeah. Yeah, this is a knowledge that, surpasses no, uh, or knowledge that surpasses knowledge. We see it in our text. The knowledge of the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That seems like, what? How do you know something that's unknowable? That's a great question. The word... In Greek, for surpasses, um, meaning to throw beyond the usual mark, right? To surpass, exceeding, excel, pass. And as I was thinking about this, just trying to get an idea of what that might look like. I mean, I love little pictures in my mind about things to kind of get a clarity. But if man, the strongest man on the planet, with the strongest arm, the best arm to throw, grabbed the best rock that he could find and threw it as hard as he could straight up and you marked the high point, right? The knowledge that surpasses knowledge would be that compared to a space shuttle launch Right? The knowledge of God that goes way beyond human ability, way beyond human capacity or intellect. This knowledge that resides in Christ, this knowledge that surpasses knowledge, um, it resides in Christ and therefore must be revealed by Christ. We read this in John chapter 1, verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God, who's that? Who's the only begotten God? Jesus. Jesus Christ, who is in the bosom of the Father. He has explained him. And Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 11, verse 27. All things have been handed over to me, by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Christ has to reveal the truth. This knowledge, this the experiential knowledge of the love of Christ is revealed to us, not discovered. In fact, Paul addresses this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. These are familiar verses. I don't want to read them. You can follow along. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 24. Paul, who, by the way, when he was Saul of Tarshish, right, was a highly educated man, he was brilliant. Educated at the feet of Gamaliel. He was a Pharisee. You know, I have not researched this. I've been told this. I maybe I read it somewhere, but the Pharisees had to memorize volumes. I mean, their intellect was high. Um, 1 Corinthians 1 For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. The world, through its wisdom, did not come to know, Gnosko, experientially know. God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block. And to the Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Paul makes it very clear in these verses here in 1 Corinthians 1 that man cannot achieve gnosko, experiential knowledge of God left to himself. Man cannot arrive at the knowledge of God through human efforts and wisdom. If you took time to look back through history, all the religions of the world, other than the true religion, and man's effort to know God, reach God, be God, I mean, some of the things that have been done in the name of religion are jaw-dropping. But Israel got involved with this godlessness. Not looking to God, but looking to other religions and other attempts to know God. And they actually sacrificed their children. Israel. Because they followed the the nations. God said, that never entered my mind. Never. Never. Man cannot arrive at the knowledge of God, can't. Every time he attempts or tries, it's an abomination. Because as we learned in our Sunday school this morning, when God proclaims his name, Moses said, well, who am I going to say sent me? What did God say to Moses? I am. Tell him, I am sent you. There's no one like God. Um, Luke chapter 10 I I love this Um, if you want to turn there Luke chapter 10 verse 21 through 23 coming to this conclusion I mean at that time he, Christ rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said I praise you O Father Lord of heaven and earth that you have hidden these things from the wise And intelligent, and you have revealed them to infants. And just a point there it would be very difficult to teach an infant um, nuclear medicine, right? I mean, the capacity is not there. That's the point. We had no capacity. I praise you, Father, he says. You've revealed these things to infants. I love it that the text says he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit. We see the Trinity at work here. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. And who the Father is except the Son and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. I know we read that in Matthew. This is Luke's account. But look at verse 23. Turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes which which see the things you see. Do you know your eyes are blessed to see these things? because you couldn't look on your own. You could never get there on your own. Does that make you love Christ? Amen. It makes us, and we rejoice in the Holy Spirit over this same truth. Our eyes have been opened. Again, man cannot arrive at the knowledge of God through human efforts. And this principle remains true in every part of salvation including regeneration, sanctification, and glorification. In the same way we're not able to save ourselves, we are not able to sanctify ourselves. We're not able to resurrect ourselves to glory. This is all the work of God. Salvation, like Jonah said, is of the Lord. And having this experiential knowledge of Christ makes us depend on Christ for our salvation, for our sanctification, depending on Him, not depending on us. Looking to His work, not looking to your work. No, salvation, sanctification, and glorification is all the work of God through the gospel through the word of God, through the spirit of God, alone, alone. We're involved because we're the ones who have been rescued for God, for his glory, to live for him. But he gives us the power to do that through faith. And Paul wants his readers to know that. That's his prayer. So, the answer to the question is through faith, which is a gift from God. And we know that we know these things through faith. Um, we know these verses, Romans 10:17, "Where does faith come from? Hearing. and hearing by the Word of Christ, right? In John chapter 20, verses 31. Or 30 and 31. We read this. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing, you may have life in his name. How important is the Bible? Thank you, God, for the Bible. Thank you for your word Thank you that you've opened my eyes to see the truth. Thank you, Lord, that you've given me a heart to understand, ears to hear. That's a, a, that's a paean of praise. Remember in Deuteronomy 29, Moses speaking to the Israelites. You saw everything. You witnessed it. Yet to this day, the Lord has not given you eyes to see, ears to hear, or a heart to to understand it isn't gonna signs and wonders don't work uh, there's a big old church from where I came from has a worldwide impact that hangs their hats on mysticism signs and wonders that will not change the human heart the Word of God through the Spirit of God changes the heart of the man and woman of God right it's our great confidence We read this already, but 1 John 5, 13, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you will know, you may know, that you have eternal life. I've written these things so you can know that you're saved. God wants us to live with confidence through faith, believing, looking to Christ, and our confidence grows the more we look to him. The more we look to the Word, First John five twenty, our call to worship, and we know that the Son of God has come, and has given us understanding, so that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son Jesus Christ. This is the true God, and eternal life. Yeah, this is experiential knowledge of the love of Christ comes to every believer through faith, which comes through the word of God, through the spirit of God, to the man of God, for the glory of God, and of Jesus Christ. So this brings us to the second part of verse 19, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. I'm going to make a confession. Last night, I thought I had this message completed by 12.30 yesterday afternoon. And the Holy Spirit, and I just did a review about 8 o'clock before I went to bed. And I tore that whole thing up. Well, not all of it, (laughs) but this part. I didn't have it right. I was confused. And the old saying, if there's a mist in the pulpit, there's a fog in the pew, is true. And as I read through some helps, um, faithful men, and a lot of them, Carson, Jones, MacArthur, Um, the things they had to say were wonderful. Jones, Lloyd-Jones, writes five chapters on a half a verse. (laughs) He has a lot. I appreciate that very much. But again, Paul is praying that his readers will realize something. How, and, and they all said this, the fullness, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God, That is so huge. How do you talk about that? We can, you know, maybe tritely or quaintly or whatever, talk about it. And yet, Paul is praying that we Christians would know that and and actually experience that through the knowledge of the love of Christ. That's the key, right? In fact, in the sequence of the verse, to know the love of Christ which which surpasses knowledge and that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. So, I have some thoughts. But even this morning, what I'd like to do is just read John 17. And I'd like you to read along with me. And I think that that, for me, explains what Paul had in his mind, because that's exactly what Jesus is praying for that we would know the fullness of God. So, John 17, let me just read this. I'll try to reserve comment. And by the way, I'm reading out of the New American Standard Bible. I know we have ESV out here, and we have uh, New King James and others. So, follow along. Jesus spoke these things. And lifting his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. <clears throat> now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I have had with you before the world was I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of this world they were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you for the words which you gave me I have given to them and they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you and that And they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy, made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who would in me, or believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, Even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. So that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, and you in me. That they may be perfected in unity. So that the world may know that you sent me, and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Filled up to all the fullness of God. That's not stuff. That's God. That's God. To desire God. To live for God, to want God, to love God, to know God, to live for God, to pursue God in Christ. Because that, brothers and sisters, is why you breathe. God made you for worship and chose you for worship. Did you catch Jesus making a distinction in this prayer? For those whom you've given to me, But I do have some notes. I got like two more minutes. To be filled up to all the fullness of God would include his joy. Right? Psalm 16, in your presence is what? Fullness of joy. Psalm 21, 6, for you made him most blessed forever. You make him joyful with gladness in your presence. You want joy? Seek God in Christ. To be filled up to all the fullness of God in his peace. Right, his peace. Isaiah 26.3, very familiar verse. God will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. You know the verse. The fullness of God. Jesus said this in John 14, verse 27 Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. My peace I give to you. To be filled up to all the fullness of God in his comfort. His comfort. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 3 through 5 Paul says blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the father of mercies and the god of all comfort but joy peace comfort comes to us it's not what we seek god is whom we seek but with God comes his joy, his peace, his comfort. Um, God is, to, to be filled up to the fullness, to all the fullness of God, uh, includes his mercy. hased in the, in the Hebrew. His loving kindness. You Lord, are good, ready to forgive and abundant in mercy, loving kindness to all who call upon you. Psalm 86, verse 12, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify your name forever for your mercy towards me is great and you have delivered my soul from the depths of hell. Wow. Psalm 145, the Lord is gracious and merciful. To be filled up to all the fullness of God includes his grace. Gracious is the Lord, Psalm 116, 5. Yes, our God is Compassionate. John chapter one, verse 16: "For of his fullness we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ." I mean, time isn't going to allow it, but we could talk, I and mean, we're just barely scratching the surface on the fullness of God. I mean, what about his goodness, his compassion, his forgiveness, his generosity, his tenderness, his majesty, his power, his wisdom, his truth, his love, the fullness of God. All the fullness of God and more is realized in knowing the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. Human knowledge. Praise God for Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord for our salvation. Paul says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And what more can be said? Verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we Ask or think according to the power that works within us? I mean, here Paul in verse 20 begins to praise God for his work. Paul knows that this is a work that only God can do. And it is a work that surpasses human ability and wisdom. Paul gives praise to God for his power that works within his precious saints. Why? Why? Because Paul had the heart of a shepherd. The best thing for the sheep is to experientially know the love of Christ. The best thing for you and the best thing for me. Pray for me and I'll pray for you. The Holy Spirit knows your name. He knows your heart. The best thing is to know the love of Christ, and to be filled to all the fullness of God. Paul would have known this verse in Jeremiah 32, 17, as he said what he just said in verse 20. Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth, and by your great power and by your outstretched arm, nothing is too hard for the Lord. So, soli deo gloria, right? To God alone be the glory. I'd like to read two more verses here. First Chronicles 29, verse 11 through 13. This is David's prayer. This is a man whose heart was after God. He's a man after my heart, God said. Listen to what he says. Yours, O Lord, is the greatest and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, yours is the dominion. O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. And in your hand is power and might, and it lies in your hand to make great, and to strengthen everyone. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. David was astounded that God rescued him, chose him, installed him, used him. And then we read um, earlier today, Revelation chapter 7, Verse 11 and 12, And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. I mean, from Revelation all the way back to David, the theme is the same. Ascribe to the Lord glory due his name. Ascribe to the Lord, right? Verse 21, to him, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for Christ. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving us. May we know the love of Christ. And may we be filled to all the fullness of God. Help us, Lord, not to sell out cheaply for things that are going to go to dust. We can enjoy all things at your hand, but we, should, we can never elevate those things to the place where you rightly belong. In our hearts, thank you for your word. Change us forever. In Jesus' name, amen.